Well, let's turn our attention to this now. Um, and we're going to be looking at the impact of the non-investment in Africa. In, in infrastructure development and the impact that that is having in particular on the continent's economic development progress. Uh, Mohan Vivekanandan is the Group Executive Origination and Coverage at the Development Bank of Southern Africa. Good morning and thank you so much for your time today. Hi, good morning, Cathy. Uh, thanks for having me. Perhaps let's just begin with a lay of the land in terms of Africa's infrastructure right now and where we are. And what, what, of course, you do is that you also define the key markers that speak to the, the kind of infrastructure development that you are looking at. So you'd look at whether uh, people have access to electricity, what is the condition of the rail network, etc., yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, it's acknowledged that there is significant amount of investment that's continued necessary in infrastructure on the continent, you know, just to promote economic growth, to promote trade, mm. but also just to improve quality of life of people. Um, you know, if you look at some of the numbers, the good news is the continent is spending about $100 billion per annum on various forms of infrastructure. Um, and that is growing, but it's, it's obviously not enough. That's about 3.5% of the continent's GDP. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, we'd like to see that increasing up to 6 to 8% of GDP in infrastructure to really meet the significant gaps. You know, there's significant population growth, a lot of urbanization, and there's a lack of intercontinental trade meaning, you know, within the countries in the continent. Mm. And, and so, you know, it's acknowledged that probably at least another $50 billion a year is needed of additional investment. Do you think that this uh, lack of inter, um, inter-country trade is due to the fact that we don't have the logistical systems to support efficient trade across different uh, countries? I think it's one of the elements. Mm. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the only element. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, it's good news that the African Continental Free Trade Agreement has now been signed, um, and that's going to start bringing down both specific trade tar- tariffs, but hopefully also non-tariff barriers. But the reality is, you know, the continent's trade for a long time had been with the, the West and now also with countries like China, um, but it hasn't been as much within each country. Um, and I think part of it is also the fact that, you know, there's some investments that are needed to be able to establish offices to promote these types of trade. And the countries within the continent haven't always been as proactive in doing that and, and in some cases have the resources to do it. But, but definitely infrastructure is one of the key elements. It's been highlighted by the African Continental Free Trade uh, um, Agreement as one of the gaps. And, and that's something that the DBSA is um, quite focused on. You know, and I think it'll be one of the topics that's going to be discussed at, um, you know, the upcoming Infrastructure Africa conference as well mm. uh, later in June. When we look at the World Bank and their latest study, which uh, has shown that um, the continent effectively has a substandard condition of infrastructure, again, looking at electricity, water, roads and um, ICT sector, what is the impact of this on business productivity? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that it, it has a quite a negative impact, right? I mean, we know in South Africa alone, 
you know, the impact pre-COVID of, you know, the lack of electricity supply, you know, there was estimates that it was impacting GDP in the region of about 1% per year. Mm. And that's just in South Africa where, frankly, you know, our energy supplies are still quite good compared to the rest of sub-Saharan Africa, at least, where there's something like 500 million people don't have access to electricity in their homes. So, so yeah, yeah, go on. No, no, so I was saying that's, that's one sector, energy. Obviously, you know, transport is another critical one. If we think about the amount of time and the cost of transporting goods, mm. let's just say just uh, a critical um, corridor that the DBSA is focused on is what we call the North-South Corridor, which starts from the port of Durban, you know, through our borders um, into Zimbabwe, into Botswana, Eswatini, and then going north all the way up to the Great Lakes region. Um, you know, it's very critical that we've got efficient transport, including, and it's not just the rail and the road, but it's even the cross-border transport where, you know, I think many of us have seen the, you know, the stories about the amount of time it takes to cross our borders. So that really, you know, that kind of inefficiency means many times somebody, let's say, in the Great Lakes region may import directly from the from Asia or from Europe, whereas actually we could deliver some of those goods mm. and it's manufactured in South Africa, but it's hard to get it there efficiently. One of the things that has been raised, of course, is that even though these issues you're speaking about are a challenge and and a hindrance in terms of the kind of impact that they have on developing economies, one would also think that they provide opportunities for investment. And, um, you know, what are we seeing in terms of how the continent is entering into different arrangements for is in investments and ultimately whether we are benefiting out of those? No, it's a very fair point. And as I mentioned, you know, according to the Infrastructure Consortium for Africa report, in 2018, there was $100 billion that was spent on the continent's infrastructure. Um, and about, you know, I would, 30% of that went in South Africa and other countries in Southern Africa, mm. right? It's a pretty serious amount. Now, if you look at the sectors, about 75% of that also goes towards either the energy sector or the transport sector. And then the rest, you know, smaller amounts in water, ICT, and, and, and social infrastructure. The, the opportunity, though, and, and, and this is part of the challenge, is if you look at how it gets funded, you know, primarily it's funded through the fiscus of African government. Mm. And, and, and that's normal. That's, that's typically how infrastructure gets built all over the world. There are some smaller opportunities, let's say, for independent power producers, you know, for private hospitals, private education. Obviously, mobile telecoms has been a big area where there's been significant private investment. Um, but most infrastructure is funded through government. But what's been happening, and, and there's an interesting report from Deloitte that they put out every year, uh, what it shows is there's a significant correlation between who provides the funding and which companies then benefit in terms of doing that work. Mm. So you can imagine, for instance, you know, according to the ICA report, upwards of 25% of that funding is coming from China. So that's, as an example, it's a country that's able to deploy significant financial resources through their bank, their export credit agency, which then obviously benefits their country. And similarly, and, and that's not unusual to China, you know, you, you have that coming from the Gulf states, from certain European countries. Um, and I think the challenge is we, as from South Africa, we don't necessarily have those same financial resources. And hence, according to that same Deloitte report, 
only about 4% of uh, the African infrastructure is that is being done through South African companies. So the challenge is we don't necessarily have that same financial resources to support our companies, which then shows up in them not participating as much and taking advantage of the significant investment opportunities on the continent. Mm. When when it comes to, you, you've mentioned the issue of, of, of China, and we know that China has been very aggressive in terms of where it's investing in, in, in the continent, but I think also very strategic about its own plans. Do you feel that often that countries are, um, how can I put this, that they are at the forefront of, of that strategy or are they just simply following basically where they're being led? Um, as in, are we taking the lead in terms of de- deciding what it is that is important for us to have investment in versus when people come and say, okay, I see you don't have a school, but I'm more interested in building you a railway than I am in giving you a school, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I heard, I think there was, there was somebody just as I was listening and speaking about a high-speed railway. Mm. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Because ultimately, you know, governments get elected by the people. And it's the job of those governments to to represent the will of the people, right, through policies, through long-term policies. And as we know, infrastructure is a very long-term game. You know, it cuts across the typical five-year election cycle. You know, you're building, you know, subways that, were built in London, New York, that were built over 100 years ago, mm-hmm. and they're still being used today. So the key challenge is how do we have both the vision and the skills within government, both you know in the ministries that, that set policy and then the entities that are supposed to execute those policies to be able to really plan for decades and to deliver you know, value-for-money infrastructure for government. Now, what, what is happening in some cases, and, and it's across a number of countries, and, and there's also a, a growth now in private developers approaching governments to say, hey, we want to build this for you, we want to build that for you. Mm. Um, and that's not bad because you know, it shows some you know, entrepreneurship, but, but really the, the governments themselves need to have the capacity and, you know, frankly, need to be free of corruption to be able to make the right decisions on behalf of their people. And, and in some cases, it is wanting, Let's be honest. But in other cases, you know, I think the infrastructure that's being invested is welcome because, you know, we may say, well, it's not being fully utilized now. But, you know, again, it's a multi-decade investment and we mm. do need to take a broader view around it. Mm. And, and ultimately, of course, um, when we look at the overall impact of who this development benefits, yes, uh, you know, it's great to have the infrastructure. But many will always raise concerns about who are the contractors that are being brought in to do this work? And are you finding that local communities are completely excluded from that chain of benefit? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. And I think we need to take the view that certain types of infrastructure are, is quite specialized in mm-hmm. nature. And and only possibly a few companies globally will have those skills. You know, if you're not talking about building a big hydroelectric dam, that's not a skill, you know, that necessarily exists in a lot of countries. So, um, you know, it's a few countries that specialize in another could be like, let's say, nuclear power. Historically, five, 10 years ago, even in with renewables, you know, a lot of that skill set set in specific countries that had been moving ahead with renewables. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, as an example in South Africa, what we've been able to do with 
the independent power producer program is from a lower base, we've been able to try and grow that, at least on the ownership side. But I agree there is still a challenge around um, lo- you know, using this infrastructure to drive industrialization. Um, but part of what's needed is policy certainty. So as an example, you know, if you're going to say, let's benefit from this, let's set up you know, solar panel manufacturing or inverter plants or you know, wind, you know, wind turbine plants now, there needs to be enough of a market to justify building that. Mm-hmm. And not just for a year or two, but for decades. So if um, a manufacturing company doesn't have that certainty, then it's going to be very difficult for them to set that up. And so this, this is where I think our governments have also not helped themselves in promoting and, and benefiting from these investments. All right, let me go to the phone, to the phone lines, calling us from the beautiful Port Shepston. VJ, good morning to you. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Uh, yeah, Kathy, uh, great show, great topic. Uh, you know, it, it's very current for me. I was at a, at, a, at a summit, an economic summit in KZN in Durban mm. last week. Mm. And there was a presenter from the DCIC and, uh, who made a, a very good presentation as well. But I called him out because... There was so little focus in this presentation on the actual infrastructure to underpin, for example, the, the African Free Trade, Afri- African Continental Free Trade Agreement. And um, I am an absolute skeptic, unfortunately, Cathy. You know, we were exporters for many, many years out of Fort Chepstone, and Africa was a huge untapped market for us, and there was literally no infrastructure that could enable us to get our product to mm. into Africa economically. In fact, it was... 30 to 40 percent or more cheaper to, to export into 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 Europe and, and other parts of the world. Now, you know, in my view, nothing has changed in 20 years, and and I am such a skeptic that I would doubt that anything would happen in the next 20 years. Either and and what what kind of product were you offering, Vijay? We we, we were of, of offering furniture, okay. Cathy, which was yeah. you know we, we we had already markets in 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 most of Africa, but it was just uh, the transport to get our product into Africa was absolutely absolutely uh, ridiculous. We were completely uncompetitive. Mm. Now, uh, I cannot see, you know, uh, the DTIC guy went on and on about, you know, 38 odd countries have signed the agreement and they, he spoke about all the protocols and all the, the stuff that, that's done on paper has apparently been done very well. And I dare say they've already got a, a big office complex uh, put up. I think it's in, in Addis or in one of, the, one of the African capitals and they've probably got staff and everything. So Africa's very good at doing the the uh, the the red tape type stuff, shall I say? The administrative stuff. Infra- yes, and mm. actually getting infrastructure on the ground is, you know, I mean, we know what what happened as your committee spoke about what happened at the borders just not even three months ago, and and part of it was COVID, we know, but the efficiencies are just not there for me. The willingness is just not there to get this. You know, I, I rolled my eyes when he spoke about this wonderful corridor north up north. And I said, wow, you know, if that came to pass, that would be wonderful. But I don't see a commitment in Africa. And I think if you look at the amount of port development that's happened, for example, in, in Ethiopia, and I think uh, in Ghana as well, if I'm not mistaken, and in, in, in Algeria, I think a lot of the African countries up north have also given up hope on, on, on infrastructure being improved through Africa and are looking at alternative, alternative ways to, to get product in and out of their countries. And I think... Um, I, I am sad to say that I think in you know, five years down the line, we'll be talking about the African Continental Free Trade mm-hmm. Agreement in, on paper. But in fact, in terms of boosting trade between countries in Africa, which we know is actually something that can do so much for the continent, I'm not convinced it's going to happen 
uh, in the next five, ten years, Cathy, unfortunately. Uh, Vijay, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for that call. And um, as somebody who's actually been in the space, that is his experience, his lived experience of these challenges that we're speaking about. Mohan? Yeah, look, I, I think it's a fair point because if you think about it, what a lot of the African countries are doing is they are developing their ports, which has been happening. And then they are connecting those port cities into their capitals in the interior, you know, through improvements to their railway networks, to their road networks, right? Especially, um, you know, where we're familiar, a lot of that has been happening in East Africa. And as, as an example, in Ethiopia, in Kenya, we were involved now in funding a, a, a similar project in the railway sector in, um, in Tanzania as well. But what that means is it benefits anybody who's able to land a ship in those port cities like Mombasa, you know, Dar es Salaam, right? Mm. Then now, so that ship could come from South Africa, but it could just as easily come from Asia or from Europe, right? It's good for those countries because it's improving connectivity for them between their interiors. Now, what we've got here is somebody, you know, who's speaking from a South African perspective. Now, the challenge, as I said, is the North-South corridor is not very effective. There's a lot of borders. They take a lot of time to get through. The costs are very high. And you've got a lot of handovers. So what's happening is, you know, within some of those countries that I mentioned, there's something like eight different railway lines across seven different countries. And you don't necessarily have a single operator who you could load, you know, equipment onto mm. from, let's say, Gauteng to take it all the way up to the southern DRC, to the Katanga province for the mining, right? So because of that, and vice versa, coming down. So there's a lot of handover points, and each of those handovers, lead to increase in time and also increase in cost. And, and, and those are operational issues that need to be worked on. But, but you know, the speaker is right. The, the actual transport links, the, the road and rail links and cross-border links between South Africa and the interior of the continent are, are not where they need to be. Mm. Mohan, I'm going to ask you to please just stay on the line a bit for me. I've got a couple of more callers just to take before we wrap up this conversation. It is, however, 11.30 and Musa standing by with your latest news headlines. Here, there and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 106.6 We're taking a look at infrastructure development on the continent and how that is, how the lack of development is a hindrance to economic activity and economic opportunities uh, for many countries on the continent. Uh, Mohan Vivekanandan is the group executive of origination and coverage at the Development Bank of Southern Africa, and he's been joining us for this conversation. So I'll just take a couple of a couple of more calls, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, this talk. Let me go to Lucas in Rustenburg. Lucas, good morning to you. How are you, Kevin? I'm well, thank you, sir. Go for it. I've been trying to call you every time, Kevin. Oh, Ish, Lucas, I'm so sorry. I don't know what, I think sometimes the phone lines just get so busy that, okay. you know, they're not able to take everyone. I'm so sorry about that, Lucas. Okay. Yeah. As a, as a youth of uh, our nation, mm. I'm 29 years old. I, I want to say, if we want to try to build a nation, we have to love each other. Mm. We have to appreciate each other. We have to give love to one another. We have to help each other. Stop thinking about bad things. Or we have to build a nation with love. Whenever there is no love in ourselves, in our hearts, 
there's no nation gonna be built. So if we're gonna build a nation, we have to start by praising Lord Jesus Christ as a nation so our love can go through everything. Okay. And, 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 and Lucas, how do you think that that then plays into the conversation that we're having around infrastructure development? Okay. This thing is like when you, when you build a nation or when you build con- construction or when you build something else, mm. you have to build people first. You have to teach people how mm. to love each other before you can build other things, before you can do this and do this and do that. Mm. Build people first. Love people first so you can build other things. All right. Okay, Lucas, thank you so much for that call. Uh, Mohan, just this idea that people should be at the forefront of development on the continent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I can't agree more with Lucas. You know, um, we, we do need to put people first. And, and also, you know, what's critical around infrastructure is we, we think about the hard infrastructure, but you need the skills, and mm. we need to have those skills in our countries to be able to not just build. Sometimes you can learn from others, but then you need to bring that skill in-house so that we can then maintain that infrastructure. And, and that's an element that we don't always speak about. You know, you speak about a new bridge going up, a new school, but new water treatment plant, but the question is, are we taking care of the infrastructure we have? Mm. Because obviously it's, it's often cheaper to do that than to try and build something new all the time. Um, and, but to do that, you need skills. You know, we need our people to be built up, to be developed, to be able to, to do that. And not just out of, let's say, Johannesburg or you know, Cape Town, um, but throughout the country and throughout the continent as well. We can't be flying in people mm. from abroad to do that. You know, mm. we, we need to build those skills. Mm. I, I want to play one last voice note before we uh, wrap up our conversation, Mohan. Sure. Hi, Oskethi and South Africans. Eddie from Obake Foundation in Ondas Res. Uh, what a topic. Yeah, we need investment in our in our continent. You know, it's it's so important that um, structures like your SADC and your AU and other sub-regional structures, it's important that they look at this matter urgently so, because investors cannot come if there, there's no infrastructure where they want to invest. I'm happy that much having municipality, for example, they, have, um, they are disposing uh, sites so that investors can be able to check whether they are able to invest or not to invest. Infrastructure development is the heart of every economy. Thank you very much. All right, Mohan? Yeah, no, no, definitely. As I said, you know, as a continent, we probably need to, to almost double the amount of investment that's going into infrastructure, so maybe about three and a half, four percent of GDP up to six percent. Um, and, and it's not infrastructure for the sake of infrastructure, mm. but it's infrastructure which then enables, you know, trade, uh, it enables industrialization, uh, and, you know, just to improve quality of life of, of our people. You know, we need light, you know, for kids to study. We need decent quality, um, you know, schools, clinics, and, and, and water as well. We know there isn't enough you know, running water, the level of, you know, sewerage and, and treatment of that is it, it, not to the levels that we need it to be. Mm. So it really has to be a holistic offering here and not just limited to business interests effectively. Yes, I mean, there's definitely a role for business because, mm. you know, that's, that's how you create a motive for them to, to build something of quality and then to maintain it. Um, but ultimately, it needs to benefit uh, the people in the continent. 
Mohan Vivekanandan, let me thank you so much for your time this morning. And of course, he's with the Development Bank of uh, Southern Africa. So that's where we'll leave it with that particular conversation and a really important one to to keep having. Um, I think one of these days we'll need to look at the countries, uh, some of the bigger countries that are investing the most on the continent and what it is that they are investing in. So what are the projects that the likes of the Chinese are involved in in the continent? Just to also give us an idea of the interests at play and what it is that um, these countries are, are, are particularly wanting, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, Professor Lamumba will talk about, yes, some countries will come to, to give, but some countries also come to take. And ultimately, it is about the individual interests of the sovereign that would be investing. And I think it will certainly give us a sense of where uh, we are as a continent and how we are being viewed by the rest of the world. Okay, let's take a quick break. After this, uh, we'll take you to one of the last stories that we'll get that we'll get into and it will look a little bit at the work that has been taking place at the International Criminal Court.